Well, good morning, church. It's great to be here with you. And like Bill said, my name is Aaron Perez. If I haven't met you yet, I'm a lay elder here at Restoration Road Church. Um, We're going to continue our sermon series on the book of Psalms. We've chosen just a few chapters throughout Psalms to kind of take us through the fall. Um, We're not going to preach all the way through it. That would take uh, several years. So uh, we're just choosing a few of them. This morning, we're going to be in Psalm 51. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up your Bibles, turn to Psalm 51 and put your thumb in it right now. Um, And this psalm is a song of lament. David lamenting to the Lord um, after really, he realizes the depth of his actions, his sin, um, and how that could impact his eternal life. Um, I'm sure if you're like me, we've all been confronted with our own sin at times. And... uh, (laughs) I would probably venture a guess to say that our reaction is similar to what David had in Psalm 51, and we'll read that in a little bit. But as I was preparing for this sermon, I came across a really uh, interesting article, uh, and it's a story on uh, a French philosopher from the 1700s, Voltaire. And um, if you don't know Voltaire, I'm going to kind of introduce you to him a little bit, but... um, he had a direct confrontation uh, with his own conscience while writing one of his over 20,000 pieces of uh, literature. Um, Like I said, he's a French philosopher. He was in the 1700s, and he was arguably one of the, probably the first commercially published authors of that time, and it was popular all over the place. Um, His works included books and plays and poems, and and, uh, as I'll talk about, uh, satires or parodies. Um, Voltaire is a very outspoken uh, person. Um, He really was a a, a champion for civil liberties, and he fought back of what he would consider like tyrannical rule or authoritarianism. Um, And he had a a particular distaste for religions because really what happens with religions is he found it odd that people would focus their devotion, their time, their efforts on something one subject, right? And he had had an even more focused distaste for Christians because you're just focusing your time and efforts on one man. Uh, We all know that to be false, but this was Voltaire. And so um, he he really struggled with that. So he wrote a lot of parodies that were kind of based on scripture. He would take a piece of scripture and pull out some things, and then obviously he'd he'd do a satirical reading or a writing on him. He did, however, love the way that Christians lived their lives. He loved the fact that they would go out and they would feed the poor. They would give of their time, their money, their efforts to help people. He loved that about it. But he really had a a hard time with just our focus as Christians being on one person, one man. So he decided to write a parody of this psalm, of Psalm 51. And he sat down to write it. And of course, you know, you read through uh, scripture like we do. We read through scripture. He read through the scripture and he was pulling line by line the ability to really like create something false from something that we would consider true. Um, He got all the way down to verse 10 and was struck with verse 10. And as we'll see, as we read through it together here in a little bit, that uh, verse 10 create something, stir something up inside people. And it did with Voltaire. Um, He just had this realization that something inside ultimately needs reconciliation. Verses 1 through 9 kind of laid a groundwork for him, and then he gets to verse 10, he's like, something inside of me is not right. 
Um, and when he, he became just, he recounts this with friends and, and, and people that were writers of that time. He recounts this. He said, at some point during that time, when I read verse 10, tried to figure out what I could write to kind of parody verse 10, I was struck with this fear that I couldn't really separate from my writing. He immediately tore up his parchment and that was it. He never finished the parody of Psalm 51. And he, tells, he told of this story for years after this. He just couldn't separate the fear that he was feeling from his writing. And ultimately, he just had to stop. So I'm sure like all of you, you've, you've maybe experienced something like Voltaire's story, right? We're, we're confronted with our own sinful nature, um, our actions, and uh, we contemplate how those actions could influence our lives here. And then even after we pass, thoughts of judgment possibly mixed with fear. They come into our hearts and, and minds and we try to reconcile the turmoil that we feel inside. There are a couple of ways in which we can respond to this, right? Um, and we'll see from David, one of the ways is just this posture of humble reverence for a great and merciful God. So like I said, open up your Bibles. Um, we're going to read through the whole chapter of 51. Uh, just follow along with me here. <clears throat> Create in me a clean heart, O God. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow." Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create a clean heart in me, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach, of your, teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open up my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of God. And this song sounds very, very familiar to me. Probably because it's a pretty well-written ex explanation of how I come to the Lord with thoughts of how I've messed up, right? How much of a fool I can be. Lord, here I am again. Back in front of you, I screwed up again. Um, maybe, Lord, can you do me a solid and not write this one down? <laughs> I'm so thankful I know who you are, Lord, and how you love me in spite of my weaknesses. And that's it. He loves us in spite of those weaknesses, but we still have to bring that to him, right? 
we'll break down the stages we probably go to when we realize we've screwed up and sinned against the Lord. We'll also walk through our desire to be right with God, to understand the depth at which we should go to bring ourselves before him, asking for that right spirit. The story of David, um, that's recalled from the intro, right? Nathan the prophet. Um, It's from 2 Samuel. If those of you that aren't familiar with the story from 2 Samuel, I'm going to kind of uh, recap it a little, just paraphrase it for you. But um, David sitting there in his his palace there, uh, gets up from his couch, goes out onto the roof uh, of his house one day, and he sees a beautiful woman across the court, and she's bathing. Um, David obviously has admiration for this woman, sends somebody to find out who that is. The messenger comes back and says, well, Lord, that's, that's your buddy Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. David sends for Bathsheba to be brought to his palace and unfortunately uh, just commits an unthinkable sin uh, against Bathsheba. Um, and a little while later, Bathsheba comes and confronts David and tells him, I'm pregnant. Of course, that just strikes fear inside of David, right? His sin would be on display at that point, right? So he's trying to think of a way to excuse it, cover it up, hide it. So he calls his buddy home from war. Uriah's out fighting a battle. He calls Uriah home from war and um, strikes up a conversation with him. And, you know, what he's hoping is that during this time is that Uriah being so thankful for coming home, he'd go home, he'd, he'd reunite with his wife, and they would end up conceiving a child and then, or supposedly conceiving a child, and then David is off the hook at that point, right? He had done come home. Well, it's not how it goes. Uriah never left the palace. He sat there with his king, Overnight, slept on the steps. David wakes up in the morning and Uriah is still there. Uriah, why are you still here? Why didn't you go see your wife? He's very simply, he's a very faithful man to his king. My men are out in the fields. They're sleeping on grass. They're out fighting for us. And I am here. Why should I be able to go home? Why should I go home? So David thinks, man, this is, is not what I planned. Um, I had planned for you to go home and to cover my sin for me, right? So he devises another way. He says, hey, Uriah, why don't you stay for dinner? David gets Uriah drunk that night. Hopefully that will lower his thought process, his, his inhibitions, and then he would go home for sure. Nope, falls asleep right there on the couch. It's David's only other option at this point from what he sees other than confessing is to send Uriah back out to the battlefield. But this time it's different. He writes a letter to Joab, who's running, basically running the military there. And he tells Joab to put Uriah in an indefensible position, put him on the front lines. He knows all well what's going to end up happening to his buddy Uriah. But that's the depth that David wanted to go to to cover up his sin. Sure enough, Uriah dies in battle. He allows Bathsheba to mourn for a little bit, but then brings her into the palace and becomes, and she becomes his wife. This is a very troubling story. And as time went on, David's conscience was quieted to what he had just perpetrated against these folks, right? Bathsheba, Joab, Uriah. 
That is until Nathan shows up. Nathan, being a prophet from the Lord, shows up. And uh, the Lord wanted to awaken David's conscience again. And he's going to do this through Nathan. Nathan uses a parable uh, later in 2 Samuel uh, to get his point across. And I'll read the parable. Nathan tells David, There were two men in a certain city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children, and it used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling, the rich man was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. This story angered David. And this is how David responds. As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. Nathan knew exactly those words from the Lord that he told David. Stands up and says, you are the man. You're the man from this story. You're the guy. And he continues to tell David, the Lord made you king of Israel. He kept you safe from Saul, gave you the palace, brought a woman to you who became your wife, and all of it wasn't enough. You killed Uriah. You took his wife to be your wife. Now, Nathan, being sent from the Lord, brought truth to David, convicted him. While these types of interactions are never easy or comfortable, Nathan honored the Lord in that moment, pushing past that awkwardness and the discomfort. This allowed God to place in David the realization that he had pushed aside while listening to his earthly heart. Right? I can excuse my sins. I can hide them. The moment when David is faced with his actions is kind of like how Voltaire was confronted with his actions. It struck fear in him. David was fearful of what he had done. And David calls out later, I have sinned against the Lord. Psalm 51 is David's cry to the Lord for forgiveness. It's his lament song. His confession of his transgressions, his request for this not to be on the official record. Ultimately, he's just asking for a return of reverence for what the Lord had done and will do in David's life. So let's break this down a little bit. David begins a psalm with, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Struck with utter guilt for the sins he committed, he calls out, Have mercy on me, Lord. David understands the nature of our Lord. We can see where David's going with his first few verses by looking back into Exodus to God's own words to Moses. This is from the book of Exodus, chapter 34. The Lord, the Lord, God, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty? visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So I have a question for you. 
When we're faced with the sting of our own actions, our sin, what is our posture? Do we shrink into shame and guilt, ultimately being consumed by the fear, or do we lean in to the Lord's promises? Do we thank him for his unending mercy, steadfast love? We should bow before him. Lord, I screwed up again. I've hurt your people. I've stumbled again. He knows it. We still need to bring it to him. This process allows us to fully grapple with our actions. And it gives us an understanding of who we are and why we are so dependent on the Lord's grace. David says, blot out my transgressions. What a huge ask, right? Especially in this situation, a huge ask, right? If we understand what David's saying here, David knows there's a record on him. I'm not saying that the Lord's standing there with a clipboard writing everything down, but he knows there's a record of it. And he asked, calling on the mercy of the Lord, just don't write this one down, please. Take it out of the official record. This is a perfect analogy for how God works in our lives. He's keenly aware of our misdeeds, right? Our sinful tendencies, and yet still plan to wash us clean. This is exactly what David's asking for. Wash me clean. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For some, this request can seem so transactional, right? I sin, I ask forgiveness to sin another day. I pray for us that we understand David's request a little deeper. His request is different from some flippant words. It's deep. It comes from a place of pure brokenness. Purify us completely, almost like saying, I don't want this anymore, ever. Take it from me. This is the desire I hope we have. A time where we say, that's it, I can't take this anymore. You're going to need to take this from me. I need help with this sin. I know what I'm capable of. And only by your good works am I able to be clean, washed, right? David said in 2 Samuel, I sinned against you, Lord. This posture will move us towards Christ and deepen our relationship with him. But he wants us in a place of repentance utter acknowledgement of our broken self. He wants us reliant on his spirit. And hopefully we'll be better tomorrow than we were today. This isn't just a plea for his one sin that he transgressed on, right? Um, transgressions is plural in this section of scripture, which means David's aware that the fact that his sins are many. I'm bringing them all to you, Lord. Too many to list, but here they are, out in the open. David continues, verse 4, Against you, you only I have sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David confesses in this one, right? He speaks the words, I've sinned against you, Lord. Of course, as we read Second Samuel, we go, well, wait a minute. He did this to Bathsheba and Uriah. Why is he saying that he sinned against the Lord? He's confessing those sins to the Lord because he sinned against him, and rightly so. When we sin against our fellow man, we sin against the Lord because it directly counters the Lord's desire for us to love one another. 
to hold his statutes. David's aware of what could be in store for him on that day of judgment. Standing before the Lord, about to be delivered the admonishment from God that he so rightly deserves. And David says, you're right. You're right. You have every right to judge me on these sins. He does. The Lord has every right to judge us on our sins. There's no trying to justify our actions or to downplay the severity of our transgressions. This request from David continues with his confession. It's not just this set of sins for the reason to come before the Lord. He brings wisdom and truth at the same time. He tells the Lord in verses 5 and 6, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in a secret heart. Essentially what David's saying here is, I've been a sinner since day one. Since the time my mother gave birth to me, even further, when I was conceived, I was a sinner. That's saying something. The thought of our sinful nature beginning upon conception, what a sobering thought that might be. But it's so true. Because of the fall, we're all in a place of depravity. It begins with the spark of life, and it continues throughout our earthly lives. The Lord delights in truth. He delights in honesty with oneself. Are we aware of our sin, our nature, our origins? This is what David's getting to here. He understands how the Lord desires truth, not just on the outside, but from what's on the inside. There's a part of us that's hidden from most that it's what David calls our secret heart. And he asked God to teach him wisdom in that secret heart. Basically, change me from the inside and my outside will automatically mirror that secret heart. Here's another question. Do you meditate and pray on the significance of a regenerate heart? If we've truly been granted the heart change, shouldn't our outside match our inside? That's what David's saying here. The outflowing of goodness should be how we're, we're set apart from those who don't possess that secret heart. Let's be those people. Let's be those people that look different, speak different, love different. Let's be a church full of people that truly embrace the significance of a changed heart. Continue with verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. David asked for a purging, right, by using the herb hyssop. Hyssop's a real thing. It was used back then to actually heal infections, digestive issues. It's very, very powerful. I feel he's using this phrase along with his request to wash me. I feel he's, he's drawing similarities. He's saying, heal me, heal my heart. Make my heart not sick. If my heart is healed, I will be clean like snow whiter than snow. He wants a heart prone to follow God, to do what is right, to turn away from his sinful behavior so that he may honor what the Lord has done in his life. I think the song, it, it, this reminded me of the song, Jesus Paid It All. And when I read that verse, it just, 
I'm going to read you a few lines. I'm not going to sing them because that's the only thing that you would get from this sermon. Uh, <laughs> but the lyrics go like this. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. I think we can learn a lot from these few lines. We, do we get the fact that we're weak? That our strength is small? We should watch and pray and find in God all that we need. Not in the world, not in money, not in popularity, just the Lord. Our sin definitely left a, a stain from Jesus' blood his sacrifice on the cross. It's an action that we should dwell on constantly. This sacrifice washed us all like David desires to be, whiter than snow. Let's continue. Verse eight, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Knowing the Lord can accomplish with the cleansing of his heart, David asked for joy to be evident in his life, that he can be glad for what is to come, and rejoicing for the pain that has occurred. He mentions broken bones as a way to convey the impact of what God can accomplish. Not just a little band-aid over a scrape or a paper cut, broken bones. I'm sure we're all aware of how the Lord crushes us, crushes who we once were. We're unrecognizable from the person we were before, and it's all due to his intervention in our lives. We sing of our thanks and admiration for this change, for that absolute beatdown that we've received from the Lord. David brings up the topic of sin and iniquities again. This time he includes all, knowing there's more to come from a broken sinner, right? Just to hammer home the fact that the Lord sees our sins, knows them intimately, and he asks for them to be stricken from the record again. We get to the verse that shook Voltaire to his core. Create a clean heart in me, O God. The crushing of our bones creates a new and different being. So create a new heart, a clean heart, O God. David already confessed. He sinned against the Lord, transgressed multiple times. There's a record to which he would need to answer for. And all he will hear from God is, you're forgiven. God's righteous judgment is warranted in this situation. It's warranted for all of us. But now he just pleads for a new heart, a clean one. And he just desires a right spirit. I don't know if we've ever been there at that point, right? He just feels so broken, so at odds with the Lord. And all we want is a right spirit. Move me away from where I am right now. Push me into a different realm. Do we do the same, right? Can we fathom the depth of our being if we're not for Christ? 
who would we be? But now that we've been crushed by the death of Christ on the cross, we're new. Having a desire for a clean heart, right spirit, never wanting to be without the presence of the Lord again, we plead for fellowship with God and for the Holy Spirit to be ever with us. If you recall the story of your salvation, your changed heart, each interaction is unique, only to you. You're the only one that can tell this story. I pray that the Lord grants us joy as we remember this. It's a defining moment in our lives as believers. Verse 13, here's his response, right? Here's what, here's what David wants to do, you know, if he's granted all these things. He brings the lament to the Lord, please blot it out, wash me clean, I have sinned. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. David wants to do these things, right? Because of his clean heart, because of what the Lord's done for him. David tells God that because of the good work he's done inside of him, David will teach other sinners how God performed miracles in his life. And because of this, more will be added to the Lord's number. This is what we do here on Sundays. This is what we do in Bible studies, this is what we do in small groups, right? We tell of the Lord and his magnificent character, what he's done for each one of us who call him Lord. We set out with a renewed spirit, armed with the joy of our salvation, and we're eager to share it with others. Ultimately, we have no bearing on whether someone's heart has changed in these moments, right? When we share the gospel with somebody, we have, we have, all we do is introduce the Lord to somebody. The Lord takes it from there. We just need to deliver the good news. Verses 14 and 15, he's starting to wrap it up. Deliver me from my blood guiltness. Oh God, oh God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Again, a plea from David. Forgive my sins, my shame, my guilt from the blood shed due to my sin. That blood guiltness, he feels guilty for what he did to Uriah. Lord of my clean heart, the only reason for my salvation. When you take away my filth and cleanse me, I'll sing about you. Another way we connect with David is we sing his praises. We sing them here. Uh, if you're like me, sing in private, because nobody needs to be around that. But uh, when we worship God through song, he hears us, our thanks, our praises of his righteousness. We would do well to carry this wherever we go. Do we use the opportunities granted to us to display our thanks for our own salvation? This is what David's getting to here. Because you did this, I feel no other way than to just respond and to praise you and to worship you and to share my history between me and the Lord with you, with others, right? Verse 16 for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You, would not, you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Here David brings up the fact that the Lord is not appeased by sacrifice. He doesn't want us to just deliver a sacrifice each and every time we sin, right? The Lord for love, would love us to realize that our sin and forgiveness, it's not transactional. We don't sin and then offer something to absolve that sin over and over and over again. We don't do that. He wants our hearts. 
And we need to be willing to give up everything we are to praise his name, to speak of his good deeds, to sing his praises. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. We are broken in spirit, but given a greater spirit that should push our past away. We have a broken and contrite heart. This is good despite what it sounds like. We're grieved by our transgressions like David was grieved. Our old hearts have been crushed by the power of the cross. And we're given hearts to mourn that mourn for our iniquities that we cast upon the Lord and his people. This is his idea of a right spirit, a posture of humble adoration for our broken parts. He won't despise those parts. In this scenario, brokenness is good. It's wanted and it's given. In most parts of life, we view brokenness as something to be mourned or fixed. As people of God, saved by Christ, we welcome the brokenness. Fully accepting the transformative influence of the Holy Spirit, this is something the Lord smiles upon. David wraps up his song with verse 18 and 19, Do good to Zion. In your good pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, in whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Zion was, was, Zion was God's place to David. It's a place where David had planned to erect a temple honoring the Lord, but his plans, David thought, were dashed with the sinful actions he committed against the Lord. And David asked the Lord to do good and to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Basically, I thought I couldn't honor you anymore, but my realization that your mercy and grace are bestowed upon me, and this will allow me to praise you in Zion. David then says, God will delight in right sacrifices, burnt offerings, and a bull offered on his altar. Brothers and sisters, because we have been crushed for our transgressions, a heart that desires for the Lord remains. We understand that the Lord's steadfast love delivers mercy. And when we fall before him, bringing our sins, acknowledging how the hurt we cause grieves the Lord, we can ask for a renewed spirit. We ask for that renewed spirit to praise his name, to sing of his good works. We can go along and teach others. He desires a humble posture, knowing our true nature. Our true nature is less than righteous. I pray that we can be shaken to our core like David was. When David realized his sins were not just committed against Bathsheba and Uriah, but against the one who sustains our very souls. I hope that we realize that through the saving work already performed on the cross, our regenerate hearts desire to be in fellowship with him. Lord, we are, we are broken. We are crushed. You have, you have bestowed grace and mercy upon us, though. And because of that, we're thankful. We're joyful. We're able to do something today that we weren't able to do yesterday. And we'll be able to do more in the future with that right spirit. We're all here today for a reason. Whether you've been broken to pieces already like I have, or maybe this is the first time you've heard about the work that the Lord puts in to change one of his sons and daughters. 
understand that there's something better for us all. The fact that the Lord has chosen you to hear these words today, spoken through David, means something. It means he showered you with grace. He's changed you from the inside. He's made you to mourn your actions and ultimately has you wanting to be something different, to do something different. Please know that we're all sinners, each and every one of us, but know that Christ died to wash us clean, to make us white as snow. And now we get to sing his praises, to teach others about this magnificent transformation. Church, if anyone has not yet asked for this intervention into their lives, for the Lord to be a part of their life, it's not too late, but time is of the essence. If you feel pressure to bring forward anything weighing on your heart, please realize this pressure is from the Lord. Take the opportunity to sing aloud the righteousness of our God, to experience the right spirit, and to have the experience of joy and gladness in our broken pieces. The beauty of the magnificent work performed on each believer. Like I said before, it's truly intimate, truly unique, only to you. You'll speak of it until the day that you move on from this place. And that's what he wants, to share your story with others that may not know Jesus as well as you do. For those who already understand the depth of our, of our sin and carry... Um, and what they carry around with them on a daily basis, right? If you're walking in the joy and gladness of a broken and contrite heart, I charge you to live out the grace you've been granted. Remember always that we should carry with us the memory of the cross. Because we are reminded daily who we are from conception. We would do great to always fall before the Lord with our humble posture, confessing our sins, contemplating the impact those sins could have on our eternal soul. Our God is full of mercy. Knowing full well who we are, who we were, he decided to break us down, break our bones, replace our heart with one that can feel the true full weight of everything we just learned here today. Be thankful for that pain. Welcome the discomfort. Realize the great gift that we've all been given. We are his people. He loves each and every one of us so deeply that he made the ultimate sacrifice. And because of that sacrifice, we're different. We long for the day when we will see him face to face. But right now, let's put on display our thanks, our admiration, and our allow our lives to mirror the great work he performed on our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we know you've performed a great work inside each one of us. It's why we're here today. It's why we worship who you are. We understand the depth at which we can be at odds with your design, how we can work against your plan you have for each one of us. But God, we're so very thankful for your desire to fellowship with us, to meet us where we are and grant us peace in our turmoil to rearrange our priorities and shift the focus from our own desire to a desire to rightly follow you. 
Thank you for the opportunity to speak your word to any who would listen. I pray as we move on from here today that we are empowered by the Spirit to be different, to push away our old selves and flourish in what you have changed us into. You have made us white as snow. You have created a clean heart inside those who call you, Lord. May we now proclaim your good name and speak of your works. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.